Well, I, I'm in a business. I'm in a construction business, and I rebuild. I do properties restoration, and I have a customer who's at Cannon Beach, Oregon, and it's oceanfront. And, and we all know there's almost, almost so much oceanfront in the world. And this is about a five million dollar house, so it's a modest house. It's got a, it's got a view of Haystack, which is a famous uh, rock formation that everyone comes and visits from all over the world. And I'm talking to the homeowner, who's a very wealthy developer from from the Denver area. And I said, "Well, who lives? Who's your neighbor here?" And he goes, "Oh, that's owned by the Catholic Church." I go, "The Catholic Church owns this mansion, oceanfront." He, I go, "Why is no one there?" He goes, "Well." About once a year, two nuns come and stay for the weekend. <laughs> and we looked at each other and said, "Those rich, how rich is the Catholic Church? This whole show started, I didn't tell you. I told him we were talking about Joel Osteen and the big mega church in Houston. And I said, why don't you Google his car? And it was this ridiculous Ferrari that, <laughs> that looks like a rapper would drive. <laughs> right? Joe was like, what? <laughs> there, that's where I started going down the slippery slope of what do mega pastors do with their tithes? Because like I saw his car and then I started seeing private jet, private jet, private jet, not Joel Osteen, but like it almost seems like these pastors, they will literally trade private jets to each other. Like they're trading cards, like the, the mega pastors. It's, it's so insane. Can we, can we talk about that? Like, like what they do with their money? Well, there's one that pops up is very famous. Kenneth Copeland. Have you heard of him? Big mega church pastor. You know what day it is? No, it's one day closer to the resurrection. <laughs> yes! Hallelujah! <laughs> I've seen him and his wife, and they are like the face of uh, the TV evangelism. <laughs> so now we see all of these devils, and we see them in their place. Political devils, wicked spirits in the heavenlies. This is a reason people run on one thing while they're at home. They go to Washington, they do something exactly opposite. Have no idea what kind of devils they're up against. And a lot of them don't know there are devils. If you said there were, they'd laugh at you. Well, he gets cornered. This reporter, it's the funniest thing you've ever seen, Joe. And we've got a link to this. It's 12 minutes long. It is worth every second of it. Of any 12, you know, I see someone tells me it's a 12 minute video. I don't want to watch it. You know, you know, I got about two minutes in me. This one's worth it. So this this 30-something reporter, she, in her high heels, runs, and, and he's getting out of his Escalade in his big suit, fancy suit, with his security team around him. She corners him. How are you, sir? We'd just like to ask you about why you don't want to fly commercial. And starts yelling at him and asks about his private jet. Why have you said that you won't fly commercial? You said that it's like getting into a tube with a bunch of demons. And he's, he gets so uncomfortable, Joe. You've seen the video, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to play clips of it. It's great. Listen, I paid. <laughs> you kind of caught me off guard here, okay? But to, but to his defense, he, hang in, he hung in there and started justifying having a private air, airplane. Now, he, this woman is a reporter, and she knows the Bible because she, her, her, both of her grandparents were pastors. So... She's saying, how can you justify this? And he's talking down to her in a very sexist, condescending way, calling her sweetie, calling her baby. Right. Do you think that Let people that fly commercial are demons? You give me a chance to talk, sweetheart. I'll explain this to you. Give me a chance here, Inside Edition. I love your eyes. 
and he finally kind of stumbles through it. It's it's really uncomfortable to watch him. You know, he says, "Yeah, I do like I do take my jet to to my private." He said, "But I've brought 120 million people to Christ. Without this airplane, I couldn't do it." So his whole sales thing at the end, his whole justification was he's so important in saving souls, and he wouldn't be able to save as many souls if he had to ride on a commercial plane. Right. And then he calls, or like in a, in a past sermon that she was quoting, he called people who are on commercial planes demons. <laughs> <laughs> right. And she kept throwing that in his face, like he, the riffraff. He goes, I can't, and this is what he said finally, because she kept pinning him down that he had said that. He said, I wasn't talking about people. I wasn't, almost like a teenager who was, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. That's how he was doing. It. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and finally he said, well, think about it. I have to go give a sermon and save people's souls and there's an alcoholic or a drinker the demon is on that plane i can't i can't perform at this level and then he tried to justify this you know i mean the guy's worth a billion dollars or half a billion it's hard even hard to say he's got properties all over the world that he flies to and he brags about the clothes he wears he's a pretty flashy guy yeah and he says oh well i have natural gas on my on my um, property you didn't know about that did you babe and of and of course, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but who paid for the house? The church. <laughs> right. It, it is funny you say that. We are going to get into uh, the, how much the houses of pastors and preachers uh, are, are also tax exempt and also paid for by the church. So, like, no, he the the defense of um, my property is worth money and that's where I get it from. Or I, you know, I, I make this money by doing extracurricular things outside the church it's it's complete nonsense it's it's a tax um it's a tax loophole um so okay how about his defense i actually wanted to get your opinion on that there's a lot of these things where like most episodes todd asks a question and then i come back with like science or studies with an answer this is the opposite i i am looking at science studies and i'm coming back to todd and being like is this true (laughs) so his his defense of the the jet gets him to all these other souls. Do you think that's legit, or or do you think that like he could do the same thing on commercial? Could he just put in like earbuds and a face mask and do what the rest of us do and just well, do it? The, yeah, and, and, do? and then what he's that was his big thing. He's been on five continents. To me, it looked very Rolling Stone Mick Jagger. I'm going around, and I, I think I think he's mistaking services. He's saying eye to eye, I save more people's lives. But what we know that you know most of the churches, mega churches now, you actually they're so big. Some of these churches are so big. Two thousand again is a small one. I mean, they get to twelve, twenty thousand, thirty thousand people. You're you're almost at a sporting event. You're watching them. You can't see the pastor. You're watching it on the big screen because the the to give you an example. Joel Austin, where he has church services where the Houston Rockets used to play NBA basketball. That's how big some of these places are. When he goes on tour, he plays Yankee Stadium where the New York Yankees plays. He doesn't go to your local, <laughs> you know. So you're, my point being, you don't really see them. You're watching them on the screen anyway. So this guy's saying he flies to five continents, is going to Africa to save it. Yeah, no, he's there on vacation eating caviar is what I think. He's not. He's not saving a hundred million souls by going to five continents. He is performing in large venues to one hundred twenty million people, and getting and, paid and getting compensated handsomely for it. Like any and, public speaker, he's getting paid to be there with the tiding and the right. And and, and there are just tears and tears of 
uh, like a, a pyramid of um, dedicated people on that continent, wherever he's going. He goes to Africa. There are, you know, pastors, preachers, deacons, and just a, a whole network of people who have set up everything for him before he arrives. Everybody in that, uh, everybody in that stadium has been plugged in, as we put earlier. Now, who's that? Who's that money manager guy? The very conservative guy who's on the radio all the time. Oh, um, it's, it's not Rush Limbaugh. The guy he's still alive. Uh, what do you call him? Ramsey. Uh, Dave Ramsey. Okay, I got it. Okay, Dave Ramsey. You know who he is? Uh, vaguely rings a bell. Well, there's a there's a money manager guy, and he's very conservative. His name is Dave Ramsey. So when I was at the Christchurch of the Valley, when you're in the higher tiding, you get special benefits. Now, I found out that Dave Ramsey was coming, and I thought this is a big deal. He's a celebrity radio host. And they said, Todd, you can't tell anybody. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't? Why, don't, why is this not advertised? They go, it's already sold out, and it's only to sp- specific members of the church are invited to pay $500. So they're, they're hiring these big mega church pastors to come to your church. You're going to pay to meet them like you would a, you know, a president or a celebrity. And you're grateful that you were the one who won the lottery to be able to give money. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. They're keeping it a secret. They said it's sold out. You know, the guy's big. We're paying him $50,000 to be here for a few hours or whatever. And I'm like, how much money does this church have? I was just so impressed. I'm like, wow, you guys got money, man. Between the camels and Dave Ramsey coming in and no one sits like under the table. You mentioned uh, world-renowned public speakers. That is exactly what we used to cover when we talked about, like, public speakers who would hold, uh, you know, camps and like coaching seminars and these very private, very prestige, like they would go to their, their best sort of like supporters and the people they had coached who were CEOs and like magnates and things. And they would tell them, here's, you know, I'm doing a private session this weekend, Tony Robbins kind of stuff where you go to a seminar mm-hmm. for a thousand dollars. That sounds so close to that. It is. What was that? What the one the message we did about the, the motivational speaker who killed all those people? in the um right the steam tent in arizona yeah and then all his people were all very professional they were dentists and doctors and lawyers and they were and they go to every single one of his seminars i mean they, there was that was their, their vacation every year was going to to spend twenty thousand dollars to be out in the woods with this guy <laughs> right so what what do they do with the money like that's that's the question that that reporter was implying with her talking about, you know, do you need this private jet? And then he took it hunting and he's taken it to like um, private vacations and stuff. Like I know he he said that he was using the money to reach five continents and, you know, a hundred million people. Um, but he, like many of these pastors who end up buying private jets, there there are, like I said, there are TV pastors who famously have bought multiple private jets for fun and trade them among each other. Um, and they use them very, very frequently for, like, <laughs> just trips. No, my, my very favorite thing he said with this interview, with he got bum-rushed by this this young woman. Uh, he said, uh, to justify the cost of the plane, he said the guy who gave it to him was such a good man, he gave him such a good deal. Without the airplane that we have that I bought from Tyler Perry, and I didn't pay anywhere. And Tyler's one of the greatest guys. He made it. He made that airplane so cheap for me. I couldn't help but buy it. 
He had to take well, it. He couldn't say no. That it, the jet was so cheap that it was impossible to say no. Literally, like it's cheap, like your your uncle selling your car is such a good deal. Right. He, th- he that's how out of touch with reality he is. Now, I I started looking at his houses. No, not his houses doesn't like he owns a couple houses in the neighborhood. He has mega mansions all over the world. They're so big you can't even usually it's a helicopter picture. His you have to go even further out, Joe. They're such <laughs> I mean, this is some real Saddam Hussein shit, dude. Right. These are palaces. Hold on, let me let me find the um Oh god, where is it? I'm trying to find Oh, here we go. Okay, so Let's let's talk that real quick. Um, when we talk about what megachurches do with their money, let's start with, you know, how does Copeland live in a seven million dollar house? Um, that that is, by the way, that is what his main residence is. He has all these mansions you're talking about. His main house is a seven million dollar house. There is something in um, tax code called the parsonage allowance. The parsonage allowance is a sum of money awarded by the same governing board of a house of worship to its ministers to offset housing expenses. So to break that down, what it basically means for tax purposes, um, you are given an allowance by your church, and this allowance, the parsonage allowance, is uh, tax-free. It's exempted from the recipient's gross income, and it is considered to be sort of like their hardship, like they've, they've... sacrifice their life to you know bring you the word of god so we're not going to tax you on the house you get and that that money for the house is going to come from the church if this was a small 50 person church in like old ireland and it's the the preacher who's you know a, a hard-working catholic that wanders literally physically walks you know house to house and like comforts people and and gives them the word of god that is different. That is that is a, a true parsonage allowance. That is, they are being given a small amount of money to have a, a little hovel in Ireland so that they can continue their, their duties. Um, what the parsonage allowance in the hands of um, our mega pastor becomes is it becomes a $7 million allowance for a mansion and, and for private jets, if he so chooses. <laughs> um, and you... And I have talked about the prosperity gospel. And it's the idea that, like, having wealth and flaunting it, like flaunting your $7 million house in your private jet, it doesn't deter people in mega churches. People in mega churches don't see that and say, oh my God, that's corruption. They say, oh my God, I want that. God has made their seed grow. I hope he makes mine too. Like, like it's, it's, it's seen as a, a, their reward for being very, very spiritual. Well, you gotta watch um, <laughs> the Righteous Gemstones. It's it's Danny. Um, oh, Danny McBride. Yeah, Danny McBride, and he is a sarcastic um, self, and he is a mega church pastor's son. And it's a total spoof on mega churches and abundance and <laughs> million dollar everything and Ferraris and the whole bit. But it it, it it's. It's funny because there's so much truth to it, you know. I had no idea what that show is about. I've heard the name of the show. That, well, one, the title now makes sense, Righteous Gemstones. That Okay. Um, yeah, I got to watch that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> now that I know it's all, all on point. It's going to make yeah. a lot of sense after this episode. Um, 
when we first started playing this episode, you asked me point blank, you said, what do mega churches give back and what do they spend their money on? Um, the whole point of this very large ballooned episode <laughs> was for me to try to answer that. And I well, failed let, utterly. I want you to know that. Well, that, 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 that I, you know what? You just stored my memory here, but this is how this episode started. I was watching the righteous gemstones and I'll give you, this is the scene. So the, the pastor, Danny McBride was talking to his son and his son wanted to go help kids in Africa. He was digging ditches for water, right? And Danny's like, hey, 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 let's leave the philanthropy to the Catholics and the liberals. Let's just keep <laughs> our money for us. And that's how I feel that big mega churches are. They keep all their money. They put on this big show to attract enough money. But, you know, the liberals and the Catholics, they do do all things in right. the community. They could have, it's a funny joke, they could have replaced that phrase with let's leave it to the local churches, let's leave it to the small ones, the the 50% of churches now, because remember, half of all churchgoers go to mega churches now. Um, and what do they do with their money? Do they Do they give back as much as small local churches? The problem is we legally don't know. Um, we don't know because churches buy... Um, Basically, by mandate of the government or, or just by um, the history of the United States, they don't get audited. Like, like the government does not audit churches. So, like, there's only been a couple church audits in the last 10 years. Um, what I could find on, like, um, leadnet.org is half or more goes to salary. So, like... Mm -hmm. A mega church draws in, you know, uh, uh, several hundred thousand dollars in a a sitting in a in a Sunday. And they have staff. Than, they have the yeah. full time staff. There's there's you know full time people. They have a lot of volunteers, but there are people that are full time. It looks like um, from everything I could find, the structure is very much like a um, a corporation. The half of everything that comes into a mega church goes to salary. Um, the bulk of that goes to the head of the church. The, the bulk of that does go to Joel Osteen. It goes to, you know, like the, 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 the preacher is the, the public speaker. The celebrity. And then it, they're, yeah, they're the, the celebrity. They're the Jay-Z and the Beyonce. They are. Right. They're the talent. Yeah. And then from that 50% whack of what the church gets, huge part of that goes to the speaker. And then it trickles to basically what looks like normal salaries from them, them down on. Human resources get paid roughly what human resources get paid in in the non church world. Um, the you know guards get paid about the same. The like it of course there's a little difference here and there depending on where you are. Some churches seem to take advantage of their employees. They they pay them minimum or lower than what mm -hmm. they would working other places. And the benefit is you're working for God. That's that's you, what Joe. You, you just I got to stop you there because you're dead on. This okay. is very similar to um, we did an episode about wage theft and Disneyland. They they will really push the button, and I know a lot of people who've been pastors and haven't been able. To, you know, they're, they're supportive pastors, not the main pastor, which makes a difference. The, they make barely above minimum wage, and they have a lot of responsibilities, right? And that's a tough job because you're you're juggling volunteers. Volunteers are hard to juggle. Because they, they get a sense of entitlement that they've been there for so long and they give so much and they help so much. You, and you need them, right? Right. Um, so what happens is they get kind of angry with the church because they keep pushing the, you, it's a blessing that you even have this job. 
And there's so many people that want to do it, similar to Disneyland. There's so many people that want to, you know, because it's it's exciting to them, um, and they want to help people. So so they <laughs> they take advantage of that and pay them, bare, you know, not a, not even a living wage. <laughs> That's just all jobs after the 2008 recession. It's it's a blessing you have this job. You should be thanking God. Uh, oh wait, this isn't a church. It's just a job. <laughs> I was listening to this sermon one day, and it was this African American uh, pastor with this big booming deep voice, and uh, this is about volunteerism at church. And he and he said, you know what? I'm coming to church today and getting my Cadillac and. And I was thinking about coming and seeing the volunteers, and I'm sick of them. I'm sick of looking at them. I'm sick of these. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Holy shit. And then finally he goes, because it's always the same people. Ah, there's the twist. Yeah, and so what he's saying is, yeah, and he's right. It's the same people who give the most and give most of their time. And he's trying to recruit new more of them. And if they were in the LDS church, the way they'd recruit them is they'd just find people who are tithing low and then be like, hey, you owe us labor because you didn't pay us enough. Now, the LDS church has got in some trouble recently because some accountants have left them and they've been caught with their tithing money, their their tax-free money. They've been bailing out legitimate businesses and rebranding them in their portfolio. Now, I also know some local smaller religions in uh, the the Northwest where they support um, local construction companies. They give them low interest loans. So they dabble and they support their members who of course what? Support them back. So there's a lot of that that goes on. Churches are very, very powerful and they spread their money out in ways, their tax-free money out into legitimate businesses. They kind of jab in and out of them without paying taxes. Well, it's it's funny to say that it is possible that like uh, the pastor Creflo Dollar wanting a private jet and, you know, Mike Murdoch buying two jets, Kenneth Copeland flying multiple jets, uh, Jesse Duplantis's he has a Falcon 7X that has the phrase on the side, it's not about possessions, it's about priorities. These might be the smart pastors, like, like the ones who are buying private jets and $7 million mansions, they are not doing what the LDS church might get in trouble for. They're not doing what local Northwest churches might get in trouble for. It, it's when they start dabbling in local businesses without paying taxes, when they start putting money into political campaigns, even though they're not supposed to be political, that gets shady. That's where we start hitting gray area. And like I said, the IRS almost by a rule never audits churches, even mega churches. But eventually, like, you know, they're afraid of religions, yeah, because when they went after Scientology for taxes, that got ugly. Scientology right. went back at Scientology went back after them because it, it and said they were going to sue the individual IRS agents, and then they just they let the they got scared. Right. <laughs> I mean, why would they be afraid of the churches <laughs> if they're not doing the money what they're supposed to be doing? Right. Right. Well, there are mega churches that um so so first off because we don't audit them because they don't disclose it churches by a rule they themselves do not disclose how much they give to charity unless it is like a pr stunt for their congregant um oftentimes what happens is um a mega church like you said will charity signal they're not virtue signaling they're charity signaling they will say you know with us all of us together we raised a hundred thousand dollars to to save this person's house this small business we sent 
you know, uh, 50 people to um, Africa to build habitats for humanity, whatever they're doing. But it is such a small drop in the bucket. There are most churches choose not to disclose all of their one, their salaries, but two, their charities. Um, I found a couple of examples of churches that did disclose their charities. Um, Saddleback Church in California. I think the reason why they're willing to disclose their charities is because they do so damn much. Um, I, I looked into them. I've, I've been looking into churches trying to find out what they do. Joel Osteen's church didn't find much. Um, they report uh, to their own church during sermons, their charities, but they don't report much as far as transparency online and through like taxes and stuff. Um, Saddleback in California, uh, they have their peace plan, which provides clean water, healthcare, and education and economic outreach globally. They dabble in mental health issues. They dabble in AIDS. They, they dabble in local outreach. Um, they are to my sort of like cursory research and AI assisted research. They are doing it right. They, they are open and clear with their charities. Um, are they open with the percentage they're giving though? Because that's the thing. Um, depends on the year. Yeah. They give like, again, they'll, they'll do an outreach thing for, you know, to, to go travel some, some, um, missionary work. They'll make videos of it. It's almost like a promotional tour, you know, to get more money. <laughs> it's just so kind of aimed at getting more money. It's a little bit insulting at times. That the phrase you just used that perfectly encapsulates how these mega churches give back promotional tour. They will do a, a PR tour. They will do a, a charity signaling. Um, but by and large, from from what they disclose. That, that's really all you need to know is is find out if you can how much the church brings in, how much its portfolio is worth. Like we said, the LDS um, business-like stock portfolio, like the, the portfolio they've built in the closet, it's worth over $100 billion. Just just do the math and, and compare when they say we raise $50,000 for, you know, Habitats or, or charity or whatever. Just compare that to what everybody gives that week. It is it is such a fractional drop in the bucket. It might be shocking. the The amount they are paying for private jets, oftentimes, are way more than what the charity that they just announced is, is right. bringing in. <laughs> so the carpet in their house costs more than the charity they gave to last year. Yeah. Right, but it sounds good because it's a big number to us, you know, small time folk. Um, can we can we talk a little bit about get like like evangelists getting into property and politics because we're, we're starting to flirt with the line that they are flirting with, which is how much can we get away with investment? How much can we get away with, um, you know, starting to pick sides politically? Yeah. One, one of my favorite is, you know, Jim Baker was a very famous televangelist and he got himself in a lot of trouble for infidelities and spending money the wrong. He was convicted of fraud in 1989 and, but he got out, and he's still a Christian celebrity. So there's Branson, Missouri. You know where that out's in, it's in the middle of the Ozark Mountains. Joe, have you ever been to Branson? Never been. It's kind of like a, a poor person's uh, Nashville kind of kind of retirement area. Well, they have a Christian retreat designed for the faithful. That was their marketing thing, and so they got Baker because he just got out of prison, so he's cheap, right? So, but he's still a celebrity. And he's praying that people, only the righteous, the people closest to God can come live here. 
and that they're going to pray that their house sells wherever they are so they can live here with these other. (laughs) (laughs) And they're making ridiculous claims like saying um, Nassau has determined that this is the safest place on earth. And then saying that when there's a rapture, when it's the end of the world, this place is going to be the only place that's safe. Branson, Missouri. Okay, so you and I, we should pack our bags because, like, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm a fallout shelter kind of guy. So, like, isn't it scary that people are falling for this in droves? So you're saying I shouldn't pack my bags? <laughs> well, yeah, these <laughs> people have houses arcs? that they've. That these are not. These are not dumb people. These are people who own houses outright wherever they live. And they're blindly following a pastor who has been sh- has a record of fraud. It's it's concerning, you know. Like you could see how old little old ladies could give their whole life savings to to um, to a pastor and not to help people or move people towards Christ, but just to pay for their fuel for one day of a a jet ride to their mansion. <laughs> right. So that's okay. Let. That is actually, all of my glib jokes aside, that is actually the danger here is he is reaching out to people who are in his demographic, which means they're probably retired. They probably own their home outright. They probably don't need to move across the country toward where the rapture fallout bunkers in the Ozarks are. Um, What was he doing this for? Like, what was his motivation? Commissions to sell timeshares or not timeshares (laughs) to sign condos. Yeah, it was not. It's not complicated. Um, USA Today uh, reported on that he owned um, some of the estates there. So, like, oh, so he had, yeah, he was part of the investment group, right? <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about politics. Uh, first, I want to ask it as a question because, again, you have a lot more experience in this than I do. How many um, megachurch pastors have you encountered who who talk politics? Who will actually, you know, if there's a, a presidential debate coming up or there's an election coming up how many of them will actually go out on stage and say if you're a real christian you'll vote this way i've never heard them directly say it the ones but what we do have is we have um (laughs) they'll support different ones in different ways they'll have them at some events okay and every church kind of has its it's either blue or red right they kind of have their own they can't be both so the, the the more the more liberal um the more older conservative churches are usually red and then the the newer mega church it's 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 a mix though it's it's really a mix they have to be careful because <laughs> they don't want to lose their half of their congregation you know right well i, I, I think, think they, they lean towards red in values and, and but then they don't so they'll have they'll invite someone there as a guest, but they won't say you need to vote. But I have seen it on TV with a big megachurch that, especially in the southeast part of this country, I've seen it on TV where they're like, "You have to like if you're a Christian, you'll vote this way." I mean, they're saying that they're okay. So that kind of leads me to an interesting question: Why can't they be both? Like, um, I mean, like the, it would if if. I am sort of like really, really, really political and I go to church for a pretty specific message. I can see why pissing me off means you would piss off my money like I would walk away with it. But if church is tax exempt and they're being tax exempt because they're providing uh, faith to America, isn't that kind of like a utility like water or, or like, you know, air? Like, isn't that something where if we are tax exempting it, it should be available to everybody? You'd think. Um, 
the, the big it, church, the big the big political thing too was the mask or not mask or to vac- to vaccinate or not. Right. Churches, it was really hard because they were going to lose a lot of members by saying we want you vaccinated, and th- and then they were making, you know, health calls too. I mean, that sp- spiritual advisors are are people people hold them in high esteem, and they always have. It's not a new thing, right? <laughs> right. But you think it over time it would have washed off, but still to this day, it might not be as powerful as it used to be. But yeah. Well, there there, there are so many of these um, mega church pastors who are risking the absolute shit out of their um, tax exemption uh, and they are they're not treating faith like it is water they are treating it like it's a a, a message they can withhold um, for example um, we're talking about um, backer or Baker uh, he told his followers uh, only safe people can love Trump that's that's a quote um, and he had a guest on his show that said impeachment would lead to civil war um, and I think that's when he had Rick Joyner on his show. Like it, it's, he chose lines so hard. It wasn't even like he was dog whistling or like quietly saying, you know, hey, sixty percent of my congregation is, you know, um, deep red, uh, conservative, and you know, we hold your values up. We we agree with it. It's a lot of you know, a lot of these are are values that our book holds up. He just straight up chose a candidate. Not a not a party. He chose a candidate and said, "Only saved people can love this person." Oh boy! And there's there's absolutely versions of this on both sides. Uh, the liberal version of this uh, was back when um, Ed Bacon in California, um, like he got into a dispute with the IRS because he put out an anti-war sermon, and it it almost cost the congregation its tax exemption. So like, <laughs> it happens on both sides. I think it's because we're getting more polarized as a nation, but it's still insane to me that like you would just get rid of your tax exemption, like like or or that you would be willing to risk it because you think, think that your message should only go to one side or the other. My, what my what I think this is is that 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 the lobbyists there's so much votes in there that they're getting compensated other ways. Oh, and I, just, the only thing that makes sense. That's the only right. Does that make sense? And then also that getting their own political interest in, if they're going to run for office, then that has value. Because why else would they do it? So if I'm like a um, hardline like Democrat, and I I am like, you know, uh, I'm I'm so into voting for like Hillary Clinton, I take my money to a church locally, and I say, hey, could you give a anti-war sermon? Um, here's a bunch of money to your congregation. Like I, I am the biggest donor that week. And then they slip in a little bit into their speech because, because that's so much money. And and they're just so, they have so much influence. They do I, just more, more than they should. I put it that way. I probably sound like the most naive person on earth right now. I was going to say, so yeah, used he's to hearing <laughs> lobbyists be political. Like, like I'm used to hearing here's, you know, Dunkin' Donuts giving a hundred thousand dollars to, you know, the Republican party because they they know it will have sway. I'm not used to lobbyists going to pol- or um religious leaders and doing the same thing. Of course well, that has to well, exist. You, you remember during when COVID started and the the riots started and and uh President Trump um he gassed a bunch of people in the street so he could go take a picture at a church with a bible. It was just really weird. Yeah. It was it, it was just a promo shot. So you, you we you know this part of the country we don't realize what how powerful and you're in Texas. It, they have a lot of those 
each one of those mega pastors has got thousands of people wrapped around their finger and there's a lot of them <laughs> you know that has been by the way I, I, i'll take a, a brief personal aside here i am so used to like um my, my family is traditionally irish catholic they came from a, a dull gray rainy place and then moved to the pacific northwest a dull gray rainy place and like church has always been quiet sort of catholic mass kind of stuff coming to the south where it is like church is celebrated and it's sunny all the time and everybody like has a way different emotional attitude about it it's crazy it's a true bible bell you're tripping over churches down there too i'm sure every five feet yeah they they overlap like a venn diagram um yeah, at first I thought it was like competing Starbucks, and then I found out that that is that they have enough congregation to actually not have to compete. Um, but okay, so have you heard about the um, the very few um, mega churches who have actually dissolved their own uh, tax exempt status because they want to get political? No, I've not. Okay, so there's this guy, uh, Greg Locke, who has been embroiled in other scandals. And he got very, very, very red state. Like, like I, I've, I'll, I'll declare myself again. I am um, a registered independent. I don't have a political party. I think it's dumb getting into party fights and not going like, like supporting a person like their demagogue instead of an issue, I think is foolhardy. Um, but some people decide that, uh, supporting a candidate is godly. Like, literally, that's the kind of rhetoric they use. Greg Locke is one of those people. He got so into um, supporting the Republican Party, he openly came out and uh, dissolved his, um, it's the 501c3 tax-exempt status. He put it out on his Twitter. He, he said, you know, uh, our, our message is going to uh, be spread, um, you know, status be damned and and he i don't know if he actually did it again because we're not transparent about what churches make or what their statuses are or anything like that but he supposedly dissolved his status he said i can now spread this message because i am dissolving my my tax exemption status at that point if you're not legally recognized as a church like if you don't have the tax exemption and you are no longer kind of going along with that um if you are no longer in the eyes of the law, a church at that point, you're just a political messaging service with benefits. Like sure. <laughs> Greg Locke, if he does not have the, the, the legal status as a church to me, that just means he is a highly religious political system or, or political speaker. Um, oh, by the way, uh, uh, Greg Locke, um, he, he, he runs, uh, Greg Locke of global vision, Bible church and Mount Juliet. Um, he goes after Kenneth Copeland. So our, our, our man of the, uh, cloth and the jumbo jet or the private jet, uh, Kenneth Copeland, who was calling, uh, people on public, uh, um, who, who flew commercial jets called them demons. Ironically enough, uh, Greg Locke called Kenneth Copeland a demon. He called him a, uh, he. Thou shall not judge. Right. <laughs> the rich and the richer, right? Judging right, each other. Exactly. Yeah, but I my my jet's three years old and yours yours are brand new. Right, right, right. This guy that dissolved his own church five hundred one c status is calling the guy with the private jet uh, demon, a Freemason. 
Uh, I just want to read this quote because it's it's hilarious to me. Um, he said, quote, but you know when they won't interview me because I called Kenneth called out Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland is a heretic, you hear me? Kenneth Copeland is the number one Christian heretic in America. He wouldn't know the Bible if it bit him on the butt in the middle of the road. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland is a demon and he knows it. It just goes on and on. Like it, Isn't it, that some, we're gonna, yeah, that's going to be in our show notes, but I think it's the, the, the whole point. He wouldn't know the Bible if it bit him in the ass kind of. Right. <laughs> Isn't that a funny thing to say? He doesn't, this guy doesn't know the Bible. Ironically, the guy claiming that being in a, like being politically active is godly. This guy is saying somebody else wouldn't know the Bible if it bit him on the butt. And it, he, he, he even has a quote here uh, about Kenneth Copeland. He says, quote, He's got a lot, and he got it off the naive Christians that ought to have tithed to the local church and quit sending him money. A TV pastor is calling out another TV pastor and saying, those people should have tithed to a local church. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, That's uh, so funny. We did, a, we did a kind of, I guess you would say an anti. We've already done an anti-mega church episode, and we focused on Mars Church. Um, do you remember the pastor's name? Mark? Mark Hill? Name? Um, the, it was Mars Hill was the church. Mars Hill. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Hold and, on, uh, uh, Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll. This guy was such a slime ball that after we did the episode, I was kind of looking over my shoulder. I was afraid this guy might hit me over the head with a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> so some of these guys have got some serious street cred. You're like, oh, don't let that, don't let that smile in those suits fool you. Oh yeah, they're tough guys. I know Joel Osteen's on steroids. I saw him at the beach once. He's just ripped. And as he's driving a Ferrari, he's, I mean, the, the guy, you know. <laughs> it's, it, it reminds me of the, like, like I'm currently in the middle of writing, um, we're working on a, a, a book for the podcast uh, that kind of sums up basically everything we've learned about self-awareness. I'm rereading parts of the Lehman Brothers and like how their CEOs were like, their their managerial staff was like they were on coke they had addictions they they made threats to each other they talked about eating hearts it sounds so similar like reading about how these mega church pastors conduct themselves it is mere mirror to uh the ceos of like these wall street brokerages that like went bust because they were all just sort of like riding the high and and literally addicted to their jobs well, I have had to, I have to say, um, you know, we talked about, I have been, you know, not, not t- told to vote, but I have been told to tide. I, I forgot about this. It was, um, it was a, a church up in Seattle. It was a big mega church and it was the wife of the pastor would always do it. And this was during a wait when there was the, the mortgage crisis. And she actually said, maybe if you tied more, you wouldn't be losing your job or your house. <laughs> just just saying in a kind of ha, ha, ha. can you believe that to thousands right. of people who are having financial hardships because the church and you can tell when the church is having hardships too because they start there starts to be more fundraisers and more pressure to give more and i wouldn't say pressure to give more opportunities to give right and the, the message of course is going to be you know if whatever money you put in it will come back to you. So if you are desperate and your mortgage is up and you are, your, your kids are going to fall out of school if you don't get that money, then the, the pressure becomes plant that seed. Whatever money you have left over, put it into the church and God will provide the rest. Don't struggle with your rent. Relax. I have a covenant with God. Speaking of God providing the rest, uh, churches themselves don't 
generally rely on God to provide. They rely on the IRS tax code. Can we talk about the 501c3? Because I've referenced it so many times already. Please. Okay. So here is why. Um, if, if you're out there and you belong to a mega church and you're mentally defending your pastor uh, for saying political messaging, saying that, you know, oh, what's wrong with it if, you know, 85% of my church is Democrat or 85% of my church is Republican, they're speaking to their congregation about the values that they need to hear. What's so wrong with that? Well, the, the part that's wrong is is that, you know, the U.S. basically lets them go tax-free. And everybody who runs a business, small or large, knows your business will die on taxes. Your your, your business is, you know, will, will die or thrive in the margins. And taxes are the yeah. margin. 10% is, yeah, that's everything. That's in, in or out of business, absolutely. Right. That's that's why so many billionaires do everything they absolutely can to avoid paying taxes and to get taxes low for whatever business they start. Um, the tax code 501c3. I'm just going to read it. Uh, just quote it so that you know, you know what, what it says. Organizations are absolutely prohibited from directly or indirectly participating in or intervening in any political campaign on behalf or in opposition to any candidate for public office. Contributions to political campaign funds or public statements violate the prohibition against political campaign activity. Violating this prohibition may result in denial or revocation of the tax-exempt status and the imposition of certain excise taxes. So just that is the clearest language possible. You're not only not supposed to say who you support, you're not supposed to say what um, laws you necessarily support. You're not supposed to say, you know, like you're, you're never supposed to contribute any church money or your own money as a church leader to a campaign, even though so many people do now. It's safe to say that they've bent that rule and, and most parts of the country they've broken it. Yeah. And I, I think that is why I think, and I think that's not just the Southeast. I, I can see in New York city or Boston, I can see the same thing. The church's influence on politics is well, the Catholic Church has had <laughs> right. for years all over the world, world, the world politics. Yeah, it's it's funny me reading this and then having my family come from the Catholic Church traditionally because that's like the most political you could ever get for a church. Like, and powerful. They, yeah, yeah, they're they, not just political. They're not just telling you what they think. They're they're powerful. They're you know. go back to like Tudor England where the Catholic Church is calling every shot possible. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean politicians kiss their rings. You know the yeah. The, well, we, we are supposedly living in a world where politicians are not saviors, uh, whether it's um, uh, Trump or Biden, they are not your savior. You will not get raptured because you support one over the other. That's not true. Um, I don't care what Jim Backer says. That's not the case. <laughs> they are public servants. And um, there's a, a podcaster, Dan Carlin. Um, he, he says that it doesn't matter how high up the chain they are. A local politician, you can always say, get me a glass of water. And because they're a public servant, they should go get it for you. <laughs> if we obey tax exempt status, um, if we like I asked you earlier, should should faith be a public good like water? Should it be something where, you know, it, it's available to everybody? If you are a pastor, you should be doling it out to everybody. Um we, we've dropped so many names of politicians and stuff. I kind of want to circle back to the original question. Um, 
if we talk 10% of your income and we um, take into account how much mega churches spend on private jets, how much they do engage in political rhetoric, um, how much they spend or the church um, allots them with the, the church allowance in, in housing, everything like that. Um, the experience with the church involved, you said without the church, it's, it's worth about 60 bucks a week to you going to basically a weekend concert every week and getting jazzed up. Uh, is it still worth 10% of your income knowing all of this stuff? To me, it is not. And I, and I think a lot of my friends who are the high earners who do, who, who believe in 10%, they believe in it for prosperity. I just don't share that value or that that faith. To me, I'm willing to give as much as I do go into the movies and I'm willing to give a lot of my time. But for giving a lot of my time, I'm connecting with people who have a certain value set, are people who I think not, not as much just value set, but are on their best behavior. Because <laughs> you're not in a bar and you're not in a wherever, you know? at a sports game or at a concert. I think that is a sentiment I can get behind. And we started this podcast out by saying that there is actually a lot of value to going to, you know, finding a, a church where you can socially plug in, finding a church that has a message that is overall positive. Like there, there are a lot of positives that come with this. Um, and, and you can pick a Joel Osteen. You can totally choose a mega church that is going to um, spend your money on a private jet. But you should go into it knowing the facts and you should go into it knowing what you're getting out of it. If you're going for the the weekend high, do it. Um, just know that you're going to be paying for part of their jet. 